Hello again, and welcome to episode 22 of In Gear with the Shop. I'm your host, Reagan Dickinson, and our guest is Randall Robertson, owner and operator of Artec Fabrications in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. They bring classic trucks to life, primarily GM trucks produced between 1967 and 1972. Let's get in gear with Randall and find out how their builds stay true to the time period while incorporating all the bells and whistles of the latest technology. So y'all specialize in this five-year span, essentially, right? 67 to 72? That's where we kind of got started with all this, and that is definitely where the majority of, of our reputation is based off of. Mm. However, you know, since we did the Ponderosa and it went on to the Jay Leno show, and along with all the shows that it was winning, it became a very popular build as well. So we have three of them right now, one of which just came out of paint, and two of which are currently just about to be started. I would say that I don't really want to go over 1972, mm-hmm. but we're building a 53 Chevy into a crew cab. We're pretty close to getting that one to paint also. But if I'm interested in the project and I can be enthusiastic about it, I don't care if it's an airplane or you know a, a motorcycle. I, I can tell you, though, my heart is really more into the, you know, the vintage stuff, something that actually means something. Like um, a lot of times we'll build stuff that has some kind of sentimental value to the client. Mm-hmm. We literally just delivered one that we've had for a couple years now. Uh, we delivered it this weekend down to Salt Lake City. And oh, that was a great experience to see the end result of a family heirloom being handed back to them better than it was when it was new. It was neat to meet his parents who bought it new yeah. and then handed it down to him. And just hearing all the the family stories that that truck knitted together, you know, yeah. um, it, it's really neat to see stuff like that. But, you know, like, like I said, the 53, you know, I could go all the way down into the twenties. It, it just, again, it has to be something that I feel like I'm going to be passionate about. And there's just some things I'm not, you know, so yeah, but the sky's the limit. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you mentioned was, and this probably plays into everything you just told me, is your what you called a refined system. And I'm curious as to what that refined system looks like. You know, when, when you grow too fast, you experience a lot of, a lot of problems that uh, if you don't figure them out, you will go out of business because it's inevitable. You just can't handle it and everybody's, everybody's mad at you. But some of the processes, um, we, we have our own upholstery shop. So I don't count on people outside of my shop to fail and put me in a bad position, as well as I have 100% control over the way that my designs are implemented, but also I have control as to when they're going to be done. And really at, at the level that we, I mean, we're, we're a little over 20 builds going on at any given time. So there's no one or two shops that could even do all of our upholstery work. So anyway, our process in that, we schedule that shop out and make sure that you know, everything's flowing really well. And then we have a paint department. Same thing. The only time I've ever actually farmed anything out to a paint shop, it went so badly that it cost me a year at SEMA. So, you know, now we have a stellar paint department. Uh, they're turning out, well, let me put it this way. The Dino, I believe, is what would qualify as a Riddler uh, contestant. I can tell you I've never built a vehicle that I could say that. They're nice. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're beautiful. But this one is so 
stellar that I believe that if we were to enter it in that particular arena, I think we'd do really well. And yeah. it's not just a paint department. Let's let's face it. I don't care how nice the work you do. If you don't have a really good paint job on it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So some of the processes I've learned, you got to make sure um, that, and this is huge to me, I can only charge my customers what I think is fair. If, I, if we're doing something that's taking too long because maybe our process isn't, pro, you know, we don't have the best process or, you know, whatever the problems are, if you don't figure them out, how can you stay in business? Because I know for, for us, if we have somebody that's racking up hours, well, I can't charge it. So it ends up, we absorb it. Whenever we come into a situation where, why did this take this long? What can we do to resolve that problem so that we can be more profitable? You know, because it's all about billable hours in this business. Yeah. If you're if you're in this industry, and you know you don't realize, and your customers don't realize that this is a time and materials industry, man, you're in trouble. There's no way you can predict, and therefore we don't give estimates. We'll give a guesstimate, but with a very strong understanding that this all that's that's just a guesstimate. Yeah. You can't estimate uh, something that is impossible to know. Well, how much rust is hiding behind that panel or just fill in the blank? Well, this 53 that we're building, it has become a very expensive build because nobody's done what we're doing to this thing. Because not only do we build a crew cab the way that we build crew cabs, and that is different from a lot of other people, but we also widened the whole cab. Well, the whole truck is widened a foot. So, you know, something like that. How would you ever tell somebody how much that's going to cost when you have no clue? And, of course, then you have to factor in the, uh, hey, while you're in there, what do you think about doing this? You know, so that has been a uh, the uh, the prototype from hell. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but anyway, um, we build trucks not to rust. So, we have a blazer in right now and whew, Man, it was bad when it came in. It was it was probably the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, and it'll be done tomorrow, I believe. It's been here a little over two weeks now. But when we open all the stuff up, you know, we clean everything out and then we paint everything before we cover it back up with like a you know rust inhibiting paint. Mm-hmm. So every step we make, we're trying to make it so that this time it'll never rust here. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are some of those processes that you've um, that you've learned to make more efficient? Uh, well, usually we don't make just one of something. If I, if I think that we're going to be making a lot of them or selling a lot of them, I'll go ahead and let's just go ahead and make, you know, if it's cabs, we'll make three or four of them at a time because that process is a lot quicker when you're doing the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. So we make sure that before something goes to paint body, we like to make sure that all of the gaps, you know, all there that there is nothing that's going to keep them from doing their job. One of the things that's really important to me is um, I don't want our product to have a lot of filler on it. So we need to have really good metalwork. There's that. Um, we no longer use the factory hood hinges. We now manufacture our own that make it so much more, uh, the hood fitment is just it's so much more precise, mm-hmm. you know, because 
There's nothing worse than having a $250,000 plus truck in a hood doesn't even shut right. And there's nothing you can do about it because if you buy brand new hinges, well, they're very poorly made. You know, uh, wherever we find in the industry that we can't get a good product, that's where we end up designing and making our own. So some other processes, um, you know, I would say that we've come a long way in uh, and this only comes from experience, you know, trial and error. Um, but, you know, we'll buy an aftermarket standalone harness rather than try to modify one because I don't think that it it's ever going to be as good as something that somebody specifically designed for exactly what you're doing. So things like that, the process, keeping things in the right order. Don't do this part of the project before you've done that. Don't send it over to paint unless we've already painted the... See, we, we actually do a rust-inhibiting paint underneath the cab before, well, now, before it ever goes to paint body so that it doesn't end up not getting done until after it was painted. So there's just a lot of things. Is the shop laid out in such a way to foster that? Oh, yeah, it is. And, and more so, you know, just in the last few months. Can you kind of give me a run through of what that looks like? Well, we have our upholstery shop and it's over in a corner. And we uh-huh. have our body shop. It's over in a corner. And then our fab department is in an area. So you don't want your fab department to be right next to or your paint department right next to where you do the final you know, assembly on these things because they're going to contaminate and possibly damage these incredibly high-end and expensive paint jobs and upholstery work. So we have moved everything into places where they can be put together safely. Uh, we, we space our cars apart, our trucks apart in a way that if somebody's walking by, they don't have to shimmy by something mm. and scratch a paint job behind them. Right. You know, Each client has their own cart where we put all their parts when their parts come in as we've ordered parts for people, and now we're getting to a point where we pre-order months, and well, we've learned this because of COVID, right. we pre-order a lot of stuff way in advance of when we're going to need it. But um problem we were having is, okay, all these new parts for all these new, you know, these clients, they're all being dropped off and put into the parts department, and you can have somebody come in. Um, that's doing something out in the shop and they can grab a client's part and put it onto another client's part and it causes a lot of confusion and then we have to you know sort it out so now we have a system where each customer they have a shelf but we also have a cart that all of their new parts go into so that they don't get mixed up and we also know what parts we have and what parts we still need so and we have somebody that's actually in charge of making that all happen. Now, something that we just did, or we started the process anyway, and that was we're now going to be operating as if we were a dealership. So nobody in the shop can go into the parts department or you know whatever and get something on their own and subsequently not really getting tracked. We are now uh, a week into building a parts department that will uh, that person will be in charge of dispensing anything nuts bolts 
you name it. If it's something that is billable, for one thing, it has to go onto that customer's ticket. Mm -hmm. And so we can capture all that stuff because if you don't capture that stuff, you're losing money. Yeah. So... Anyway, um, so the parts department is going to be a huge thing for us because just getting all that information into our system, so that person will be in charge of even dispensing the gases, welding supplies. That person will be in charge of ordering for all the departments, as well as we are just about to start restoring and reselling parts so that because there's a lot of stuff that if you buy it and it's made offshore and it's not original and and a lot of times it doesn't even look original Mm -hmm. but um, the other part of that is we for oh gosh over a year now we've had somebody designing a system that um, from the beginning to the end tracks everything that's done it make sure that we have a way of putting the information in, in the right place so we can track it. But also, it makes it easier for the client and us to actually lock in and not forget something. Or, you know, if something's changed, it's done in this system so that, oh, I know that I wrote this down, but where, you know, where did it where did it go? Mm-hmm. When you have as many builds going on as we do, it's really easy to start mixing things up. Oh, yeah. And so we have definitely got that figured out now and, and working well. And what subsequently, we're more profitable now. Yeah. So, so what, are, what are people looking for in resto mods these days? Has that changed over the years? Yes. Oh, okay. uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, one of the things that in our shop, but I think really across the board in most cases, you used to have a guy that says, oh, man. I'd love to have a car that, you know, a truck that, uh, you know, just want a really nice one, you know, so they would get something just restored. Mm -hmm. Well, I think for us, the clients, they're so used to a new vehicle that they're driving that's got the backup cameras and the nav and, you know, just fill in the blank. So to make somebody truly happy with their purchase is we need to make them comfortable. And a lot of times they're very surprised at what we actually are offering. I'd say that 90% of what we're building now is in our upholstery shop. Uh, we're doing pretty much all leather now because most people didn't even realize you had the option. Yeah. So the upholstery is one thing. We, we've we got one guy that uh, is an ostrich farmer. This is so cool. He asked me if we would be willing to do his upholstery in ostrich leather. First off, I'm going, okay, this is a prank phone call, <laughs> and I'm just – I'm late getting it. So right. anyway, no. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm not going to say no to anything as long as I'm not setting him or myself, myself being our tech, to fail. Not going to do it. You know, there's things like that, uh, your, your standard running boards. The other thing is, is when you're putting these resto or you know these these newer products on a classic vehicle, you really have to make it look like it belongs on that vehicle. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I think we do pretty well at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, there are a lot of things we can't use that are on the market because, well, they're just not going to look right. So we have to, again, make the product that will look right on this year model or whatever year model we're working on. You know, a lot of guys, especially on our 50 series trucks, because, you know, those are just big, beastly pickup trucks, right? Yeah. Well, nobody makes a bumper front or rear for these things that would look right 
on a classic vehicle with those lines and those rolls and things. So we design and manufacture all of our bumpers, unless they're going with just a factory bumper. Yeah. You know, so we have to build our own winch bumpers or you know just bumpers that actually don't fold up. You know, like sheet metal. So, yeah, so there's just a lot of things, you know, like that, that we can do. One of the things that is really important to me, and fortunately, everybody on the team here understands that, I want it to look like GM made this and we just customized it a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's something that we nail every single time. Well, you know what the music means? Our time is up. Oh, well, that was quick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I very much appreciate your time and for giving us a look into your business and your philosophy as well. I appreciate that. Yeah. You can subscribe to In Gear with the Shop through your favorite podcast platform, whether it's SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're subscribed to the Shop's daily e-newsletter, you'll know when the latest podcast is available. Plus, you'll stay up to date on the latest in the automotive aftermarket. Just go to theshopmag.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, adios amigos. Adios.